There is matter to everything, even air or shadow. Too small to see. The cut is something a summoner can do, but it requires tremendous skill. And I would only use it as a last resort, like that ambush. Is this my life now? Hunted wherever I go? You get used to it. And I'm Noah, and you're listening to A Bido, where we take our current favorite pop culture set in time. That's not, no, no, okay, I'll try do again. it again, no. <laughs> are you in a tunnel? What are you doing? I have bed service. <laughs> <laughs> We're sitting in the same room. Fine. <laughs> where we take our current favorite pop culture obsession and enjoy it one nibble at a time. There you go. The place where we talk about your current favorite fandom. We go through the source material. We go episode by episode. Break it down. Talk about it. Break it down now. Yeah. <laughs> Some exciting personal news. Hit it. Mr. Derek. Oh. <laughs> has been writing a book. Oh, sure. For a while now. <laughs> and he's sending it to an editor. I got, I just got to gush about it. It's it's amazing. I'm, I'm so proud of you. Oh, well, that's very kind of you. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So I started writing a young adult novel about two or three years ago, and I kind of hit a wall, and I have Literally thought about it every single day a since lot. I stopped. Yep. Uh, finally, I saw that there was this awesome young adult author, well, author in general, who offers services to look over manuscripts, and I decided to go for it. So I broke out this manuscript. I have 191 pages written, over 60,000 words, and I read and edited the entire thing this weekend, and I'm sending it off. And yeah. I'm really, really excited about it. I'm. S- so happy. I mean, the first step is actually doing it. Yeah. And you just got to, I mean, it's a great reminder that- <laughs> I mean, you... I just got to finish it <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> once I get all these edits back <laughs> and then ch- make the changes. But hey, that's fine. that's more than just like writing it and letting it sit there to die on a USB. Sure. <laughs> I, yeah. No, I have to I have to say that I'm really excited because I, have, I had worked really hard on this and life happened and things got in the way and I just couldn't bring myself to dive into it again. But- I finally did, and Noah has been super supportive, and it was really nice to take time to reread something and still get joy from it. Yeah. I mean, this is just your daily reminder that you need to do that thing that you've been putting off and wanting to do because you love it. And I mean, was that a subtle hint that the podcast is getting in your way of doing it? I had to stop. No. No, but it's really funny, though. I have to say that um, our Badass to the Bone segment is very much about Although you want to do something, you might have to wait a long time to get it done. Mm, right, right, right. So we'll get to it. We'll get to that Ooh. in about an hour. Is that a hint at... Okay, so any listener that listens to us but like stops listening 40% through, we have segments at the end of every episode. It changes depending on whatever we're covering. And Derek has his own segment at the end where it's like whatever he wants it to be for that season. You know what I was thinking about <laughs> is that like back in the day... When this first started, well, actually, that's not true. The first season, I did it. But the second season, we would we would trade off back and forth. And now mm. it's literally just turned into like my five minutes of mayhem. You have your own mini podcast at the <laughs> exactly. end of this. Yes, yep. I know. Yep. It's like, it, it's a podcast within a podcast. Yeah. Okay. That's just our little like, what's going in on our life? So what's look, going on with your life? Look in the next year or whenever it comes out, Derek Ivy is going to have a book. Out on those shelves. Yeah. And then we will have a podcast. <laughs> sure. Because it, it's it's very easy to publish a book, as you all know. Oh, yeah. So yeah, easy. It's so easy. It. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. You, you, yeah. Don't, you don't have to get an agent and then get an editor and then get a... You know, no, no. It's fine. It's fine. All right. <laughs> so, friendly reminder, if you've been listening to us and you love what we do, make sure you go to Apple Podcasts or if you're listening on any podcast app that gives you the ability to leave reviews or ratings. Go ahead and do that. It is literally the best way to spread the word, aside from you badgering all your friends to listen to us. <laughs> Heck yeah. And if you want, you can join us on Patreon, where we release bonus episodes. So become a patrician if you'd like. <laughs> and of course, right we're word. on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all that good stuff. Too. Yeah. Our Patreon, you get to pick 
something for us to cover. And so far, the ones that our patrons have let us cover or asked us to cover have been amazing. Yeah, it's been a lot. So much fun. You made us cover things that we would have never watched or wanted to talk about before. Love it. Yeah, yeah, ding dong. So, (laughs) So do that. As you all know, before we go forward, we take a look back. So let us talk a little bit about episode one of Shadow and Bone called A Searing Burst of Light. And this is our setup episode. We meet Alina. We meet Mal. We get introduced to the Grishaverse. And we also meet some fancy friends from the Six of Crows franchise. I almost said franchise and crows at the same time. <laughs> Six of Crows. French 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 fries. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Big episode. Last thing we got left off with was a kind of actiony scene, kind of suspenseful scene, and Alina apparently is the prophesized Sun Summoner. Oh yeah, and that's where episode pick two picks up. Absolutely. So spoiler warning: if you haven't already watched all of Shadow and Bone and going episode by episode with us, we're going into episode two. So please know that there are spoilers, and you have been warned. Mm-hmm. All right. Let us officially take a bite of Shadow and Bone episode two. We're all someone's monster. Ooh. All right. So this episode picks up. This episode. <laughs> We're so fucking wasted. <laughs> so <laughs> we might have been day drinking. Anyway, so this episode picks up with a flashback at the orphanage with little Mal and little Lena. And we see this douche hole of a kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of talking about how kids are tested to be Grisha. And the only reason why I call him a douche hole is because he's very dismissive of everybody else. And he seems to be like, you know, the the runner of the thing or, you know, the bully. Yeah, he has that orphanage. like typical stance of like where he's sitting on top of the table and all the younger kids are listening to him. Yeah. You know, and basically the whole thing is like on this day, the testers from the Grisha are coming to meet with all the orphans and you know like one kid's like i'm gonna be a squaller and he's like you break wind you don't make it yeah he also does the equivalent of mudblood in the harry potter universe and he mm-hmm. calls mal a mutt so this so i i kind of assumed in the first episode but wasn't sure it seems like mal is also half possibly shoe i don't i it's not clear like they haven't said it but it seems like he's more accepted and that might just be because he's a man Right, that's what girl. I was that's what I was figuring, yeah. So it just seems like anyway, this kid is a douche hole and so Mal and Alina are both the other in this situation, mm-hmm. especially in the orphanage. Yeah. And they don't want to get tested because if one of them turns out to be a Grisha, they'll get separated so they run out they run out of the orphanage and kind of hide in the field. Right. And this is grass. where this is where that line of I'll meet you in the meadow comes back. This is where it originated. The two of them sticking by each other's side, hiding you know, behind the high grass to stay safe with the other one. And that's kind of been their entire thing their whole lives. I'll you got to love like a through line with that. Like, I mean, it's nice to see that the setup for them always wanting to be together was started so young mm. and they were together and they wanted, you know, so it, it is sweet. Like it, it's very clear that they're both really in love with each other now because their home hormones kicked in and they love each other for different reasons. Right. But, it seems like that love for each other and wanting to stay together was there from the day one. And it seems because, you know, I mean, it's typical BS, right? It's like, oh, we're all orphans, but we're still going to make a hierarchy and make other people feel bad. And, and so they always had each other because they themselves were quote unquote mutts. Right. Right. So right. they got to be together. Mal was a little more sensitive. Alina was a little more tough. They were on the outskirts of this orphanage. Anakuya could give two shits about them. <laughs> so they only had each other to turn to. And yeah. that bond is unbreakable till this day. Yeah. And then we pick up in present. It's chaos on the saved skiff that we oh. saw from the last scene in the last yeah, episode. I... Mal gets taken to medical and healers start healing Alina's collarbone. That's a little broken here. Ouchies. And this is the first time we actually see a healer, a Grisha healer, mm. do their their little science. They're they're the science you can't You're call it magic with little science i mean i don't want to call it magic because that's not what it's called so <laughs> which is very hard to not call it magic even though it's magic magic <laughs> so this episode is very ketterdam alina ketterdam alina so stick with us we wanted to maybe do all the ketterdam stuff here all the alina stuff here but we're just going to do how the episode laid it out we're diving in we're diving we're in. going in 
So, brings us to Ketterdam. Oh, Kaz and Inesh are arguing about how to continue the job. Mm. Because it seems like Inesh is like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is too much. Like, oh, uh, they killed Alexi. This is happening. We can't get through the fold. This is just too much business going on. Yeah, it's too much of a time crunch. They literally have six hours until they have to be there and prove that they have a way through the fold. And Inesh is like, it's not worth it. We can't right. do this. And she's like, listen, I don't know if I can do this with you. And he's like, sorry, maybe you stay here then. Not my problem. Yeah. She's like, guess what? I'm going to disappear. <laughs> she's very much like Batman. Yes. Where she just poofs. Yes. Or, and or appears. Totally. Love it. Me too. Love it. She's like, she's like running to be my favorite of the Six of Crows gang. At this Already. Moment. I mean, she's had maybe maximum seven minutes of screen time. And I'm like, I, I need more of you. I mean- your names are like the Wraith. You have so many knives. Oh, so I many I need knives. to know more about you. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So cut back to the fold. Alina is being taken to the Darkling, a.k.a. General Kerrigan, to test this sun summoning business. So this is really where we see General Kerrigan. This is like his introduction. This is the Darkling from the books. It was fine. The introduction, he turned slowly and looked at the camera and just imagining if it if it was like in a movie theater, it'd be like everybody would be like, oh, yay. Just like the Twilight movies, you know, <laughs> when everybody was introduced. Edward? <laughs> right. Yeah. So he starts questioning her, like, are you a Grisha? What's happening? What are you? Who are you? And the whole time she's like, I'm a map maker. Because she doesn't know what just happened. Yeah. It makes sense, but it's also kind of like, girl. If they literally took you to the Darkling, General Kierigan, and was like, here, explain what happened. I think that you just need to be like, oh, maybe I'm not a map maker at this point. Right. <laughs> I mean, two things. So in the book, I felt like they made the Grisha tent out to be so effing fancy, especially the Darkling's tent. It was like, OMG, multiple rooms, scaffolding, gold. Fur on the floor. Firm floor. Mm-hmm. And like, this was like, this is just some regular old tent. It yeah, was just I a mean, little bigger. It was big. I mean, there was a whole crowd of people in there, but That's it was, true. yeah, it was just dark. Yeah. I mean, like Zoya's tent was better in the last episode. True. And I also have to say this. So I, I've probably mentioned it on past episodes, but like before I was a librarian, I worked for like a celebrity magazine, a celebrity news magazine. Oh, OK Magazine. OK Magazine. Just just name dropping it. Yeah. Fine. I mean, it was like whatever. But <laughs> I so look, I was terrible. I was terrible. At the <laughs> Hence why you don't work there anymore. <laughs> right. Um, I like would be sent out to red carpets and things like that. And I was not good at it. I didn't like asking celebrities the questions they wanted me to ask. Right. So Ben Barnes really kind of came on the like American Hollywood radar when he was in uh, Prince Caspian. The Chronicles of Narnia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I was sent on to the red carpet and I got to interview him. Oh. But literally for a second. Why am I just now finding out about this? I just held it close to my chest. Why is he not on the show? Right, exactly. Because <laughs> Ben and I go so far back and he remembers me from that moment. No, I love how. Hold on. I love how Derek has all of these connections in some way with all of these celebrities and they're not on the show. Yeah, because when I worked at the magazine 12 years ago (laughs) as an assistant to the editor in chief, yeah, I have major connections now. (laughs) Just call them up again. Yeah, I know. I'm on my speed speed dial. Me and Ben, we we DM all the time. (laughs) But anyway, so I was put on the end of the line, like basically like all like the better magazines get like one-on-one interviews and then you're at the end of the line so like tilda swinton passed us right away oh the person i got the most time with was the actress that played lily and she was like 10 oh but she was cute oh my god she was so adorable yeah so much but benjamin barnes got there and they basically wanted me to ask him about when he was in a boy band and so i was with this other reporter on eurovision right eurovision yeah, yeah i was with this other reporter she was like six months pregnant she was just trying to get something and then i butted in i was like but weren't you in a boy band and he was like i don't want to talk about that and then he left i mean he was probably trying to break into the acting career and was like i want to forget this right exactly and there i was dumbass junior reporter (laughs) bringing it up and he was like bye i gotta go to my premiere so that's why he's not on our podcast because you brought up a time in his life he wanted to forget 
I'm sharing it with you because and everybody I can trust that you. <laughs> and I'm speaking to the audience as well. Okay. You know, it's good for me to get this off my chest. It's cathartic. <laughs> so anyway. <laughs> well, I mean, that's cool. You got to talk to him before he became the Darkling. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> back to Elena and General Kerrigan. So everybody's watching. He asked her when she was tested to be a Grisha. So this is a little different than the books because she was quote unquote tested. It's kind of unclear the way Lee Bardugo wrote it. Yeah. But in the show, she's clearly not tested. Right. At all. You're right. In the in the books, she at least comes face to face with the Grisha that are right. doing the testing. Right. And her and Mal are holding hands. But in this one, they're just like out of there. Right. And so General Kerrigan is like, you know what? Fuck this shit. I'm going to get my ring that acts as also a knife. Ouch. Terrifying. Yeah. And he cuts open her arm and light comes out. Ah. And light shoots up like a beacon ah. from the tent, which I'm sure alerted all the other people. Which is, oh, I mean, come on. You need to be a little more careful than that. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, in, in this moment, we also see Mal, who finally wakes up, you know, in that typical like show I was blacked out. <gasps> Where's Alina? You know, right. first things first. Uh, and then he he goes to run to the tent. He's got a limp. He sees the light come out. And the whole thing is they're like, leave her alone. He's like, no, I know her best. She's not a Grisha. She's not a Grisha. Sure enough, light comes out. He's like, oh, dang. Right. You know, so, and so, so there's sort of like this little moment of, oh, it turns out we don't know everything about each other. Right. And I think that obviously I'm sure the show explores it more the book did an interesting job of it where he was very resentful of her yeah. for like 90% of the book. In this one, it seems like they're more developing it in regardless, he wants to make sure she's okay. Mm -hmm. So there's that moment of like, oh, maybe there is something weird going on, but regardless, it's still Alina. Right. So I, I think that they're really... <laughs> The the people of the show want Mal to be more likable and yeah. to seem more real. I mean, if you spent your entire life with somebody, why would you be that resentful of them right. like Mal was in the books? Right, exactly. After you're, you're separated, you don't even know where she is, you finally see her, you're like, oh, you. It's like, ew, give me a break. This right. makes more sense to me. Exactly. And I actually like this more down-to-earth Mal character. Completely agree. Yeah. So, gasp. The protagonist of the series is the prophesied sun summoner. Pearls clutched. <laughs> so we also get another scene in Ketterdam. Kaz is beaten up and confronted by Pekka Collins' goons. And there's a conversation between Collins and Kaz at this point. And he more questions like, you know, I know you took a Grisha to use to get that job. He gives him an ultimatum where essentially... You either fade into the background and I get the job, like, oh, I'm taking over for you, or you you die, which both don't seem great, especially for Kaz's type of character. It's like, right. you know, he wants a job. A He's million Kruger. Yeah. yeah. Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No way. Not going to want to do also, that. Also, I feel like there's an unspoken rule of, like, nobody touches Kaz's cane but Kaz. Yeah. And Serafina Pecola, he just comes right in and he grabs it from him. <laughs> Rudeness. Yeah. Are you, are you going to call him that this entire time? I'm calling time? him Seraphine Peckler the entire time. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so if you think you're listening to a Golden Compass podcast, I apologize. <laughs> but I don't care. <laughs> so next we see Inesh. She goes and talks to Jesper mm -hmm. and kind of tells him like, hey, Kaz is not thinking straight. He still wants to do this job. There is absolutely no way we can do this. And then all of a sudden, she gets summoned to the menagerie. The menagerie. So as Inej leaves the scene, in comes Kaz. They're at the crowbar. And he notices a woman that seems a little... Like, he notices something about her. Yeah. There's this whole... Like, he has a whole set of hand gestures and face movements <laughs> that let people around the bar know what to do and who to interact with. Like, I want to talk to her. Yeah. Give me her. You know that scene in A League of Their Own? When Gina Davis and Tom Hanks are trying to give the one batter like different <laughs> signals. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. exactly what this is. It's like, you know, like head stuff, face stuff, lip stuff. It was very <laughs> intricate. And I think took a lot of choreography. I mean, this teenage like bar owner yeah. knows how to do hand signals. And it's great. You're right. If he can run an entire business and an underworld 
an underground gang, he definitely knows the hand signal. <laughs> so Kaz takes this woman into his office and questions her. And he gives her a wad of money and he was like, count it. Mm. And he notices she counts it a certain way. And he was like, okay, but people from this area where you're claiming to be from count it from one hand to another, but you count it all in one hand. Like an East Ravkin. Right. And she's claiming to be from West Ravka. Yeah. So she's obviously lying where she's from. The point of this is that she came from the other side of the fold and is somehow in Ketterdam, the other side of the fold. So he's questioning her, like, who smuggled you in? How did you get through the fold unnoticed, unscathed? Turns out that she ran away with her Grisha daughter because they didn't want to be part of the war. And they were like, we need to get out of here. So she found a way through. Apparently, there's this person called the conductor. Sounds like a train. (laughs) (laughs) And they were the ones that this person helped him through the fold. Yep. But he left him with this person named Poppy. And that's it. That's all they know. So Kaz now knows that he has to get in contact with Poppy to then find out who the conductor is to then find a way through the fold to do this job. T minus five hours until you have to have a way through the fold. <laughs> right. And I'm, I'm really enjoying this, this Ketterdam stuff. Mm. It seems it's a little different. It's not so fantasy-like. But it's interesting. Like, it's keeping me involved. I think it's very smart. It's very quick. It's very heisty. Yeah. Criminally. Yeah. Being in the barrels, fun. Yeah. Counting money. Yeah. <laughs> people in hats. It's also not clear, though, how this teenager, like, owns all this stuff and how he's, like, a crime lord or, you know, whatever. Yeah, how he has I, so much you know, power. I, I'm, I'm, like, trying to think, like, like, maybe he's, like, 19, 20. <laughs> you know, maybe he's not a sophomore in high school. <laughs> you know, like, like most YA people. Like, true. he's not 16. Maybe he's 20. Sure. You know? Yeah. He's got a sharp tongue, too. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. Back to the fold with Alina. She's being ushered into a carriage to the little palace. Mm-hmm. And all she wants to know is if Mal's okay, where's Mal? And they're like, no, you need to come with us. Everybody's going to be after you. Everybody's going to kill you. And she's like, you know what? I'm just going to go to the medical tent and talk to Mal. And they're like, no, no, you're not. Nope. So they're pretty much, they're kidnapping her in a sense of like, you don't know what's best for you. Get in the carriage. Let's go. Yeah, they're like, if you stay here, you die, Alina. Okay? <laughs> right. You come with us, you maybe survive. Right. The odds are ever in your favor. <laughs> so they load her in, they start driving away, and Mal's like, wait. Yeah, they have, Alina and Mal have a dramatic departure. She's in the carriage like Mal, and Mal's like running after her with a limp leg. And Yeah. It's like. Very dramatic. It's like in Beauty and the Beast. You know, in Beauty and the Beast, when Beast puts Maurice into the carriage, and Belle's like, I didn't get to say goodbye. He's like, not my problem. I don't remember, but I believe you. You guys, write down below if you think that no one needs to watch Beauty and the Beast. This isn't a YouTube video for the (laughs) last time. (laughs) So back at Ketterdam, Inesh makes her way to the menagerie. This is the first time we see the menagerie in the show so far. (laughs) Inesh is taken to Helene's office, and they pretty much make her disarm. Mm -hmm. She has knives coming out of every single pocket. And nook and cranny that she possibly could have it. There's bootstraps. <laughs> yeah, there's even a part where she takes a knife out and they're like, that's a new one. Yeah. <laughs> she has one that's in her hair. She takes it out and yeah. she's like, well, I'll show you how it works. <laughs> Wham. So it turns out now we're, we're given a face to the person that she's indentured to. This mm-hmm. is a person that she was sold to. And then this person rents her out for whatever people want to rent her out for. This woman, Helene, gives her an ultimatum that she has to kill this man and her fees will be paid. She's free. Or if she doesn't, then Kaz has to finish paying off. He has like five payments left, which I mean, if he had the money, he probably would have paid it off to begin with. Yeah. And it's this whole thing of like, well, I hear that you want to go on a mission, but you know, as part of you being indentured to me, you cannot leave this place. Yeah. Without my permission. Right. And it's like, like, I'm not going to give you permission unless you do this for me. Double, stinker, scoundrel, evil lady. I mean, Kaz is getting ultimatums by Collins. Inej is getting ultimatums by Helene. Old tomatoes everywhere. <laughs> what? <laughs> Instead of ultimatum, it's an ultimato. <laughs> <laughs> so, Inej 
meets up with Jesper and pretty much tells him like, hey, I'm tasked to kill a man. Can you kill him for me? Because at this point with her faith and how she is as a character, she doesn't want to kill. She has a lot of knives for somebody that does not want to kill. Listen, maybe she knows how to use them. So it's just a little stabby, stabby, not kill. I guess. Right? Self-defense. Yeah. I mean, I know whenever she's in Six of Crows, she has a couple bodies under her belt. So we're seeing her her road to assassination. Also, why can't a woman just collect knives? <laughs> okay, well, we all have our hobbies. <laughs> okay. I don't know what they do in Ketterdam in their spare time. So. Listen, there's, it's very dark there. Okay, I've never seen it during the daytime. There's knives for collecting. <laughs> That's really oh my it. God, we have never seen it during the daytime. What is Ketterdam like in the daytime? Nobody's out. We'll never know. No. There's no sun summoner. Everybody's nocturnal. Only the shadow fall. Yeah. <laughs> it's part of the fall. So back to Elena's road trip. Elena is wearing a bulletproof kefta Boop. that they gave her, just like we talked about from the book. The two guys, Fedor and Ivan, are escorting her to the little palace, Osata. And they, we have this conversation between the three of them where they're essentially telling her, you're safer with us than a giant army that's too slow. She's like, well, why are people trying to kill me? Well, you just shot a giant beam of light up into the sky, which also like, I mean, I get, are, do people know what the sun summoners power looks like? I guess that is so different from what would normally happen. Like they don't have spotlights. Mm-hmm. So of course that would be something different, but it is interesting that they kind of gave an explanation on why people would be after her so quickly, but also it's like, oh, oh, Okay. Yeah, and one little thing that I find interesting here is that usually in a fantasy universe, when people have quote-unquote powers or quote-unquote magic, they're seen as powerful and you want to be them. But it seems like in Ravka, if you're Grisha, for a long point in time, Grisha was seen as bad. Yeah, they have this weird argument. They have this argument about who has it worse. Mm. You know, she talks about how she's been like half shoe and she's like, okay, yeah, now I'm going to be more different than I already am doesn't sound like something i want to be a part of but they're also like well the little palace has walls why do you think that is right because we also weren't seen as you know accepted into society but it seems like at this point grisha are at least you know they're given a a status in the army they have a second army but it seems like in the show adaptation they're really trying to like drill it into your head that even though the Grisha are the ones that you want to know more about, and they're the cool, the ones with the powers. They're not seen as, you know, somebody totally accepted. Right. And I also think that as we see throughout this episode in particular, you know, again, in my mind, the Grisha are the all-powerful. Right. But we see that things are being invented. Weapons are happening. Guns. Mm -hmm. And so being a Grisha, although it's very cool, it's like someone could still shoot you. Yeah, at one point, do the Grisha become the all-powerful ones, and they're like, oh, we can just throw some water on you, and you melt. Right. (laughs) No, totally. Yeah. um, Ivan talks about how, you know, hopefully, because a a Grisha created the Shadowfold, and if a Grisha takes it away, then they'll be more accepted. Right. So it, it seems like not only is the Shadowfold, the Unsea, this nasty mark on all of the countries that are there because it's shown as this is what Grisha are. Mm -hmm. This is what Grisha can do. They can divide people. They can murder people. It's not great. But if they get a Grisha to be like, hey, we're not all bad. We can take away this. Mm -hmm. Maybe things will go fine. And just think of Alina for a second, right? One, orphan. Two, (laughs) half Shuhan. Three, Grisha. It's like, how many different outcasts can one person be? Yeah, I did. I I liked how they did it in the show a little more because in the book it just seemed like, you know, it's a that stereotypical. It's like, you know, Harry going to Hogwarts. It's like I don't belong here. I have no idea what's going on. I wasn't raised in this. She's this, it, pretty similar in the mm, books, but mm. this one it's like, I don't want that. Like I have been so different my whole life, and now I'm supposed to be not only a a Grisha, but this some prophesize mystical Grisha that don't exist, great, well, sign me up. If you think about it, <laughs> her and Mal have spent their entire life trying their best to blend into the background. 
and don't never do. notice us so we right. could stay together. Right. And it, that's all been blown up at this point. Yep. So the carriage at the end gets ambushed by Fjordan attackers. Raiders. <laughs> Raiders. Murderers. Good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, I want to say, the first action sequence that we have. A hundred percent. Because we had the Volcaro, but it's all CGI, so it wasn't really too action-y. But in this one, we see people fighting people and gunfire and smoke bombs and everything Arrows like that. Arrows through the face. Oh my God. Those two, those two people that were escorting her carriage, one gets an arrow to the side of the head and the other one gets it from the back to the front through the eyeball. Yowzers. Didn't expect that. I think I'm so used to these Netflix shows that are like YA books where mm. it's like, oh, it's not going to be that gross. No. This whole scene just threw that out of the they water. They went for it. Happy about it. Yeah, totally. Yeah. We do. We see heart renders more take front and center in this fight. We get to see them kind of give people heart attacks or whatever they're doing to them. There was a squalor and an inferni that kind of got taken out really easily. Mm-hmm. More to your point that you just said earlier. So as the fight intensifies, we're also seeing parts of the country that have industrialized and parts of the country that hasn't. So these guys have like sharpshooting guns. They're able to take out Grisha fairly easily. They also would hunt them like witches. Mm -hmm. So it makes sense that they're well equipped to handle them. Alina's in this carriage, hiding behind her bulletproof kefta. And then in comes a Fjordan raider, takes her out. Witch? Yeah. Calls her witch, going to kill her. And then, just like Prince Charming in all black, the Darkling rolls up, does the cut, Baller. and slices this guy in half while he's on top of Alina. I did not expect them to go as gross as I thought it would, as I thought it was in the book. <laughs> they said blood splattered on her face. <laughs> guy literally top part slides off bottom part, yeah. falls to pieces. Yeah, I'm here for it. I am too. I mean, it. it I remember reading this part in the book. I believe it was like chapter four or so. Mm. And I was like, oh, wow. Yikes. And then to actually see it, it's like, okay, good. I'm glad they showed it because it's showing a different side of Grisha that Alina has not seen. Right. And I think that it also shows the fact that, you know, we just saw these squalors and these inferni get taken down real quick by arrows. And here comes the Darkling waltzing in. And with one single cut, cut someone in half. We right. see how powerful he is. Mm-hmm. And that is just kind of like, oh, okay. So maybe there is a reason that he's at the sort of top of the Grisha chain. Well, so he's called the Darkling. So it's like, General Kiergan. <laughs> I am glad. I just want to say for a second, I'm glad that, again, they gave him a different name than the Darkling. Like this Fjordan raider called him Darkling mm. when he saw it. But it seems like a lot of people are calling him General Kiergan. Because, I mean, Ben Barnes isn't really selling the, like, I'm not really bad, there's nothing wrong here, like, just fall in love with me type thing. So it's nice to, there's just a little bit more layer between, like, what he does and, in the book and then who he's seen by the general public. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like that a little bit. Yeah. So General Kerrigan takes Elena and is like, you're safer with me, we're going to go on horseback together, and they ride off. Alina makes Kerrigan stop on the horse because her booty hurts. My tailbone. Yeah. <laughs> Ow. I get it, girl. I mean, I've literally never been on a horse, but I could imagine that it's not comfortable. Midwest man has never been on a horse? Okay. You do know everybody from Texas does not have horses. Um, But you've lived in other places and they have horses everywhere? Yes. I've lived in Colorado as well, which I was originally born in. They have horses. I know. I have not ridden a horse before. That is baffling. Oh my gosh. Horses terrify me. Yes. They're very large and very powerful. But (laughs) what a delight. (laughs) Also, your tailbone hurts. This is not selling me. But I mean, like, I've ridden a bike and then, like, my whole butt goes numb. (laughs) I'd rather ride a horse than a bike. I would rather be on a bike where you have to take care and feed the thing you're riding than. (laughs) Oh my God. We're so different. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. The, this is where we get a conversation. It explains the cut a little bit. General Kiergan says the cut is something a summoner can do. So it seems like they're following the same thing as the book. It's like the Super Saiyan power. It's the, the Megazord oh. thing oh my gosh. that the summoners have. Like yeah. you have to, everything is controlled by matter. Even shadow is, wind is, everything. And 
to be able to do this cut, you have to kind of master the ability a bit. It just creates, I mean, like a a, a sword slash thing yeah. to cut people. Yeah, and I thought that was interesting. He says that to her because she's like, why did you have to do that? And he's like, well, would you have rather me have used a sword? What's the difference between me hacking someone apart with a sword than with the cut? Yeah, in this case, I was able to do it from afar. Right. And save your And ass. save you. Yeah. Thank you. Alina. Come on. Come on. Girl. <laughs> He also explains how everybody's been waiting for her and how people might be scared of what she can do, i.e. the Fjordans and the Shuhan and anybody else that would want to get their hands on her. They either want to use the power or they're scared of her and want to get rid of it. Right. And I think that there's this thing for Alina, though, when she's seeing him talk about this stuff and learning all this stuff about being a Grisha, let's not forget that she's been in the first army for quite a while. Yeah. So she's really part of that universe. So to out of nowhere be plucked from that and thrown into the second army, she's still seeing them as the enemy in a sense. Or as the other. Right. Yeah. Yeah, right. yeah. So it's all very like nerve-wracking for her and it's kind of throwing her off her game. I mean, it's a lot of she spent her whole life, like we said, trying to be normal, trying mm-hmm. to fit in, don't notice me. But now she's with everything every time she talks to somebody, they're like, "You're you're this mystical being, like you're supposed to save everybody. Everybody hates you, whatever. It's like she's put a moron blast and it's a lot of responsibility that she's like, this is literally what I did not want. <laughs> and now this is what I'm getting. Yeah. <laughs> General Kerrigan presses her a little bit and like, were you tested as a child? Like, tell me you were tested. She ends up telling him, no, I wasn't tested. I hid. So it makes sense on why nobody knew that the sun summoner was there. But she also says like, okay. Do you see what's happened to me in the last, like, I want to say five hours? Do you think that anybody that was a sun summoner would want people to know that they exist? Right. Because I'm not having a good time here. (laughs) She's like, why don't you do this? Just take this power from me. I'll be fine. You go on your way. It's all good. She's like, you take this from me and put it to someone else. She's like, I just saw you cut someone in half. I'm sure you know something that'll transfer powers. Yeah. Use your science magic. Yeah. Come on. Back off. (laughs) We next... Then get a scene where Mal goes into like a leadership tent and confronts the head of maps. I, I don't, <laughs> I know he has a name in the book, but I don't remember at this point, And I don't think in the show he has a name, but he tries to convince them that Alina needs protection. Like, Hey, we're just going to give her to them. He was just part of your command. She was just part of your command and you're just going to abandon her that quickly. Yeah. But we, here's where we also see that. You know, head of maps guy is like, she's second army now. Not my problem. Like, they want to do everything that they want to do their way. They took her. She's fine. Yeah, apparently there is no paperwork needed <laughs> for someone to transfer from first to second army. Nope. <laughs> no. You just get taken along. No one cares anymore. They just give your cartography pens and pencils <laughs> and papyrus to someone else. It's yes. fine. Your charcoal pens. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so... The next scene we get is back in Ketterdam. Jasper is being a handsome distraction while Kaz slips into the club to talk to Poppy. And Poppy turns out to be a fierce-ass drag queen. Yo. Here for it. Oh, 110,000 million percent. Yeah. Loved it. I mean, the actor that plays Poppy is just takes over the scene. Yes. Love it. They're just there, putting on their makeup, <laughs> minding their own Beesmax, and Mr. Kaz walks in and ruins the evening. <laughs> well, it turns out Poppy knows where the conductor is, but it also turns out that the person that tasked Inej to kill this person is also the conductor. So it's like they want to take out the conductor, but also Kaz is trying to find them. And that's why in the scene in the crowbar where Inej leaves and then Kaz comes into Jesper, it's like, they haven't had a chance to talk about this is who... why you need to talk to your friends. Yeah, you talk need to, to communicate friends. here. Come on, guys. <laughs> oh, we're both looking for the conductor. Okay, why? Let's talk this out. So it turns out Helene told Inesh that this conductor guy is, you know, he sells children. Mm-hmm. And it's very personal to her because that's what happened to her and her siblings. Mm-hmm. So... It makes sense that she would want to go after them. She, Helene manipulated her in that way. But it turns out that the conductor, from what he tells Inesh, is he just smuggles refugees and families. Right. Which is what we learned the war. from that woman in the bar. Right. 
Right. So Helene made up this whole story for him just to get Inej furious enough to kill him. Yeah. She wanted, she painted it to Inej like, take out my competitor supplier mm-hmm. and then you'll be free. Right. But is the real motivation take out the thing that could help you do this job, which would free you, free you from yeah. my indentured servitude? Probably. Sounds like that one. Right. Sounds like the lighter. So it's twist on twist in oh, this one. My God. Oh, my God. <laughs> Just in time, Kaz shows up. That way, Inej does not kill the conductor. Kaz tells this conductor, you need to take us to the little palace. So I'm already seeing where this is going to go from the book. Because, okay, spoiler warning. Uh. If you didn't read the book or don't want to know more and you're watching the series with us. When Alina leaves the little palace after she finds out from Bagra that the Darkling is whatever, I feel like Instead of going with that like circus troupe, she might go with the Six of Crows. Ah. That's what I'm theorizing here. You know? Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting that the whole point of them being in this show is to find Alina. But we all know Alina is going on her own journey at some point. So when are they actually going to meet up? So I think that's why. So, it seems like. What's happening in Ketterdam is two weeks after when Alina first showed her powers. True. So when this is happening, she's already been at the little palace. Training. Right. Mm. So they already found the conductor. And the, I think the rest of their, sh- maybe the next couple episodes, is them going through the shadow fold with the conductor. But we're also seeing Alina do the stuff at the little palace. And then when she leaves, that's right when the crows show up mm. so then the timelines match up at gotcha. that point you know what's going to be interesting though is seeing that so if they do end up getting the conductor to go with them and take them through the fold it's going to be interesting to see how the conductor gets them through it right because the woman at the bar says he made us wear hoods so we couldn't see how he got us through the fold right so it's like whoa whoa, whoa wait, wait, wait. so wait we know that you can't go under because they'll come and get you the vulgar mm-hmm. will come and get you if you go through you gotta be real quiet you can't use a lot of fire because the Vulcan will get you. Right. Can you fly above? Do you go through Fjorda? Or is this guy also a sum summoner? Yeah, I doubt it. Oh, fine. <laughs> Everybody, you heard it here. All of my theories I just ruined. Know, okay, so I just know that this is a completely new character for the show because it's going to connect to these two like books and stuff. So like, I mean, it would be weird if he's also the sun summoner and they're making a big deal about Alina. It's like, okay, calm down. Come and ride the train (laughs) and ride it some, Summoner. Next, we see Alina and Kerrigan. They make it to the Little Palace. After General Kerrigan tells her that all of Ravka is prisoner until they banish the fold, she goes into her room and has a pretty deep cry. Right. Well, I don't blame her. A lot has happened. A lot has happened. She's gotten ripped from everything she's known (laughs) and thrown into this very scary, dark place. She's also, the first thing she does, which I think is really smart, is she tries to find a sharp object to hide in case she needs to stab somebody in the face. I have to admit that when I read this in the book, Little Palace seemed very lively. Lots of people, things happening. This is not how it is portrayed in the show. It is dark, it it is lonely, it is quiet. There are scary footsteps happening and nobody's there to be like, hey girl, welcome. Maybe they, I mean, they just kind of came in at like dusk time. So it's like- Everybody's at dinner. With the time probably before dinner where everybody's just like, I'm so hungry. Where's the food? (laughs) So we also get a scene here where Mal is trying to devise a plan to get to Alina. So this is really cool to see in the show as opposed to the book. Mm. So in the book, after Alina leaves the Shadowfold and all of the first army and second army, we don't see Mal at all. Until towards the end when he shows up again. So it's cool to see that since they're trying to make him not book Mal, that he's still trying to devise plans to get to her. Right. He still cares about her regardless that she's a Grisha. He wants to get to her. So luckily, Mikkel and Dubrov show up to kind of talk him out of it. Like, hey, don't steal that horse and just show up at Little Palace. They're going to kill you. Right. They're going to see you at one. You'll either be seen as a deserter and you'll be hung. Or, since you don't have an invitation to the Little Palace, they're just going to shoot you down. So they're like, listen, we have a better plan. Why don't you do something great and get a medal and get invited there? Yeah, no big deal. Right, no big deal. (laughs) But this, again, gives us the motivation of why he would want to be a tracker to help the Darkling 
to get to the palace. Right, exactly. Like, I think in the book, we don't know how the the series of events or what he necessarily did really in this time. So it is cool that we're seeing it and they're trying, they're making him more of a main character. Because I feel like in the book, especially the first book, he was a supporting character. In this one, they're like, he's still prominent. We're going to see his journey back to Alina or wherever that leads him. So I like it. I'm I'm digging that difference. I think it's a better type of story or how he got there and all of that. We're rooting for this guy now. Exactly. Yeah. Next in Ketterdam, I told you guys, it goes back and forth very quickly in this episode. Are you still with us? They're like, yeah. no. <laughs> yeah, they're like, you go back and forth too much. Well, imagine watching it. Ugh. Watching it. <laughs> so Kaz meets with Helene and uses the Crow Club as collateral for Inesh. He's like, she's going to go with me. Here, have the deed to the Crow Club. This is my collateral. If I come back, I'll pay her indentured servitude out. Yeah. If not, keep the Crow Club. Yeah. And this is what we had alluded to in our last episode. We were like, obviously, there's more between Kaz and Inesh than just, I need to use you because you're the Wraith. Right. He obviously cares about her. And the fact that he's using his own club, the thing that he sort of cares most about, in a sense, to get Inesh out of this. I think means a lot. Yeah, it's like his um his symbol of power. That's where he makes his money. That's mm-hmm. where, you know, he has his base of operations, all of that. So it makes sense. I think it's cool. I think there's more to them that we're gonna see. Again, this is a prequel. Who knows how far they're gonna go with the Six of Crows book, slash maybe seeing new and interesting character developments in this one. The last scene that we see in this episode is Mal is looking real sad not being with Alina. Alina is looking real sad in the little palace not being with Mal. And we see them, the way they shoot it, it's like Mal is sleeping on the right side of a bed. Alina is sleeping on the left side of the bed. And it looks, it's as if they're looking at each other. I'm like, oh, right. like that's as if super they're, sweet. And it's the same position of them being in the meadow as exactly. children. Sweet. Yeah, they belong together. Sweet. Belong together. We belong together. <laughs> oh, town. So, I mean, that's it. That's it for this episode. I think it was it was better for me than the first episode. A lot of stuff happened, but we're still in that setting up phase. Yeah. And I think that's pretty normal for a first season, especially for the first couple episodes. But I'm still intrigued. Yeah. And I appreciate the action we got in this. I appreciate finally getting the Darkling in this. And we're seeing the Six of Crows folks come together and I guess get on a ship at some point to head yeah. towards Ravka. Yeah, I know that there, there's a little Easter egg with a crow that's not in this season with mm-hmm. Waylon and explosives. So I think it's cool that they mentioned it a little bit, but I'm excited to see how these crows interact with our shadow and bone characters yeah. this early. Mixing of the worlds. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Super excited for that. Yeah, me too. All right, before we end this episode, it is time for a special segment. Of course, here we are with another badass to the bone. So I'm changing this one up a little bit. It's much different than last episode's Badass to the Bone. I I feel like last episode's Badass to the Bone scarred Noah. It was, I didn't expect like a true crime mini episode. (laughs) I, knowing you, I was like, you like to keep things lighthearted. I was like, oh, baby murder? This is weird. Yeah, it got dark. It got dark. (laughs) for sure. But this one is definitely different. So today I want to talk about Mary Walker, who I am calling the Ravenous Reader. Ooh. Born in 1848 and passed away in 1969, she was born into slavery in Alabama. Mary Walker wanted to learn to read, but it was forbidden. Finally free at the age of 15, Mary would have to wait a long time before she met this goal. As a teen, she and her family stayed in the South. Mary, her mother, and her siblings lived in a one-room cabin, and in order to help them survive, she worked seven days a week. Nope. Nope. One day, she was handed a Bible. She didn't know how to read it, of course, but she always held on to it. As life went on, she married, had children, and worked and worked, leaving her no time to learn. After the loss of her husband and all three of her sons, she finally decided it was time for her to learn to read. She was 114 years old. No fucking way. Yes. Is this real? This is real. Oh my God. (laughs) Luckily, there was a reading class in her retirement home and she set to it. She was named Chattanooga's oldest student and was honored locally and by presidents. 
Mary lived to be 121, and every year on her birthday, she would read to crowds gathered and proclaim, you're never too old to learn. Mary is a testament to the fact that age means nothing. If you want to, you can do it. Now that is a badass. Oh my God. Yeah. Are you serious? Like I'm serious. I mean, I, I know I'm not saying you're lying, but I literally have nothing else to say besides, are you serious? I have to share <laughs> that I actually got this story from a children's picture book called The Oldest Student by Oge Mora. Okay. I've actually heard of that. I didn't. Yeah. Oh my God. It's a beautiful story. It's The art is incredible. I think you should all check it out. And Mary Walker is beyond inspiring. Over a hundred, not even just like a hundred and one, but like. Past a decade yeah. into a hundred. Yeah. One, that's insane to think that somebody can live that long. But that literally just shows you she was so much of a badass. So she was like, I'm not done yet. Nope. Not done yet. Now is the time that I'm going to learn how to do the thing that for probably over a hundred years, I wanted to do this whole time. Oh, a hundred percent. And like she held on to that Bible. And then when her first son was born, uh, someone took it from her and like wrote his date of birth in it. <gasps> and she couldn't read it though. So then when she had her other two sons, she just would make a little mark in the book, like noting, like, I had another child. I had, like, this is what that means. Like, oh, my God. She's just, it's one of these things. It's like, because of the system she was put in, she couldn't live the life that she wanted. A normal life. A normal life. Like knowing what date her sons were born. Right. Yeah. Or how to read it or how to write it. Right, right, right. And, and then she finally said, enough is enough. It's time for me to do this. Oh, my God. Yeah. What a... Badass to the bone to come out the day after Mother's Day. Like, yeah. <laughs> Perfect timing. She's incredible. I'm like, have nothing to say. Like, I just want that to sit and people learn more about her. Check out that book. Oh. Read a little bit about Mary Walker. It's incredible. N- nothing to say. We need to end this episode because I am in awe. Fair enough. I am pissed and also mm. amazed at the same time. Oh my God. Okay. We'll see you guys Thursday. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening to A Bite Of, artwork and editing by our own Noah. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Instagram at A Bite Of Pod and on Facebook at A Bite Of. If you have questions, recommendations, or just want to say hi, you can email us at abiteofpod at gmail.com. You can find us on all podcast platforms. Please be sure to rate and review to spread the word. Hope you join us next time on A Bite Of. Bye. (laughs) 